Hi again, everyone, and welcome to tonight's edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Glad to have you along. I'm Dave Mitchell. We're going to sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds for another week. And let's go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. First, Mark, how you doing this week? Doing very well, Dave. Things are going well. The Reds are on a huge winning streak, and I think they now are playoff bound. <laughs> uh, you may be the only person in Cincinnati that believes that. Are you laughing at my enthusiasm, David? I think you are. I would never do such a thing, Mark. <laughs> but you may, you may be the only person in Cincinnati that actually believes what you just said. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably, unfortunately. And I, in, in my heart of hearts, the Reds are not going to make the playoffs this year, but it's fun to pretend. Well, I actually don't think the Indians are going to make the playoffs either, although the Indians are probably in a little better spot than the the Reds are. Matter of fact, the Indians are just a game behind what they were a year ago when they did make the playoffs, but they had to win 10 in a row, as everyone remembers, at the end of the year to do it. Well, going into tonight, Mark, both teams are off. The teams are off this evening, and it should be a very interesting next six weeks of the season, I guess you could say, as far as the Reds and Indians are concerned. As I said, I think the Indians are probably the best bet to make the playoffs, but realistically, Mark, you can't say that the Reds are completely out of it, at least mathematically. Oh, of course not. They're not out of it. The second wild card spot is still six games away, and that's possible. I mean, they play teams ahead of them the rest of the year, but it would take a 10 12-game winning streak to get them back realistically into a chance to win it. Uh, But I think the bigger issue with the Reds is not this year. I think most sane people uh, would would deem their chances uh, very, very low percentage-wise. But more problematic, I think, is what does this team do or how is this team structured going forward? And that's perhaps something we can talk about later tonight. Well, that that's a question that I've got to ask about the Indians also. The Indians are 66 and 63. They're in third place. And, Mark, they're six games behind Kansas City, which a lot of people would not even believe the role that Kansas City is on, nor would they believe the doldrums that the Detroit Tigers have gone into over the past three weeks. Ever since the Tigers made that trade, For David Price, Mark, things have gone down the hill for the Tigers. You just wonder psychologically if if that move uh, created a, I don't know, a a fait accompli attitude in the minds of the Tiger players, like, wow, we got David Price now, we can't lose. Well, you can lose, and they've proven that. But I think more to the point, the more exciting part of that, what you just mentioned, is what's happening in Kansas City. I think it'll be the first time since 1985 that that team has made the playoffs, and I hope they do. 1985 was the last last time they made the playoffs. Matter of fact, Mark, that's the longest drought, even longer than the Chicago Cubs, believe it or not, of any team in Major League Baseball to not make the playoffs. Yeah, it's amazing. It's uh, uh, so many people have been saying that Kansas City, this is the year, this is a year, and they've been saying it for probably four or five years, 
but this is their year. And it's the great thing about that story is that if you recall, early in the year they I think they swept Detroit, and then they they fell apart, and they I think they fell back four or five games, and everybody thought, well, here's Kansas City, you know, tanking again, and yet they pulled themselves together. And now, as you said, I think they have a six-game lead in the Central, and it would be awfully hard for them not to make the playoffs this year. So congratulations to them, and that's a team that's done it right. They've, they've grown a lot of their, their own talent, and that they work in a small market. And, uh, you know, you look at Kansas City, you look at Oakland, uh, other small market teams have, have certainly stepped up and, and made their way into the playoffs. So, it's not all about payroll. It's it's about how you use it. Mark, the Reds ends their off night this evening, 63 and 68. They're in fourth place, eight and a half games behind Milwaukee. I've got to give you kudos. You said Milwaukee would probably win this division or at least finish within the top two spots, and you also thought that the Reds would finish in fourth. So I guess I've got to ask you, as I give you the kudos, what did you see in the Brewers that nobody else saw? Well, what I saw was was a kind of a fearsome lineup that 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 team was going to score a lot of runs, and all they needed to do was get some pitching, and they went out and got pitching. And uh, you know they, they've they've done it the right way too. And Milwaukee is a solid organization, and they have a great farm system that keeps feeding them a lot of players. And they, they didn't go out and sign a lot of big free agents, but they've, they've grown their own, which makes them all the more dangerous going forward. Is they, you know, they have some money to spend that they need to, uh, but they also have invested heavily into their own farm, farm system. And uh, that, that lineup, I'll tell you, one through eight, I think that's one of the best lineups in baseball. And now they're getting great pitching as well. So you combine that, uh, you know, Peralta the other night, I was watching him pitch, and he's been kind of a, I wouldn't say a journeyman pitcher. He's, he's been a, a solid pitcher, but nothing. I mean, this guy was throwing 98 in the seventh inning, and uh, he's a big, strong guy, and he, he looked very impressive. And that whole, they don't have a weak, weak link in that uh, in that starting rotation. Their bullpen solid uh, up and down, and they've got a lot of tools. So it's not a fluke. So it wasn't hard for me to pick Milwaukee to be, one or two, St. Louis being the other one. Uh, I had Pittsburgh. I thought Pittsburgh was better than Cincinnati. And St. Louis and Milwaukee, significantly better than Cincinnati. So I, I wish I could say it was due to my brilliance, but uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, when you look at the rosters, 1 through 25 on these teams, number one, the Reds, I thought, had the fourth best, best roster. And the Reds play the Cubs this weekend. And it is, I mean, it's not far-fetched. If the Reds would get swept by the Cubs, the Reds could finish fifth in their division this year. That's, that's, a, they're closer to, to last place than they are first place. So it, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that I, I was a little too enthusiastic about the Reds and they end up finishing sixth. Now I hope I'm wrong, but the bigger issue I have is not just this year. Because a lot of Reds supporters will say, well, it's because of all the injuries. Okay, then let me look at your farm system. One through 40, the 40-man roster of the Reds is by far, not even close, the weakest in that central division and maybe in the National League. I know it's a big statement, but tell me a weaker 40-man roster than the Reds have. 
I, I don't think there is one. Now, there may be in the American League. I don't follow it. You do. But uh, that's what scares me about this organization is uh, they do not have a strong supporting cast down in A and AA and AAA. And, of course, we have pounded on Walt Jockety for that dilemma, along with other reasons, for the last month, maybe two months, Mark. You know, I saw a Reds broadcast on Major League Baseball Network last week, towards the end of last week. I believe it was Wednesday. And Tom Brenneman was interviewing Reds owner Bob Castellini. And I was very upset about the interview because it focused, and you probably saw this or heard about, heard about it, Mark, that the entire interview focused upon Castellini's foundation and how they wanted to use that ball game to help fund his foundation. And I found it rather implausible that Brenneman would go through the entire interview and not say anything to the Reds owner about the state of the ball club and why there were no moves made at the trade deadline. Did you get a chance to see that interview? And, and if so, did you find that in particularly uh, odd? I think we have been working together too long. We're beginning to share a brain. Uh, I saw the same thing, and I, I said, I've said this all year. I've said it for two or three years. That kind of incredible lack of penetrating journalism drives me insane. I have actually donated money to, to that, that to that fund, so I, I'm supportive of that fund. But you're right; you had Castellini there for an entire inning, with what 15 minutes, and he, they didn't say one thing about the future of the club, where's the club going, and their argument, well, well, we wanted to make this just about that fund. Well, at some point, you got to ask the owner, you got him, hey, how's it look going next year? What are your plans? Are you disappointed about this year? You know, give us some insight, which leads into the issue about Joey Votto, which I know we're going to discuss. I, I think whoever is running the Reds PR department, they don't get it. And it, th this this showing by the Reds this year is going to cost the Cincinnati Reds ball club tens of millions of dollars because of future season tickets, because people are not showing up in September, uh, people are not going to the stadium, not supporting the team, and nobody seems to care. And that that interview or lack of interview by Tom Brenneman, who I think is a dope anyway. I'm sorry, I, I know he's he's a big you're a big fan of his. Uh, he's not a journalist. Uh, he is a a guy who is hired by the Cincinnati Reds. He works for the Reds, and he's not going to challenge ownership because he, he wants to keep his job. And that's unfortunate. That's the world of journalism today where you don't have people asking those kinds of questions. You're absolutely right. And that's the problem with broadcast media today. Maybe not so much newspaper media, print media, but the broadcast media, every ball club owns the rights to those broadcasts anymore. It's no longer WLW in Cincinnati or WTAM slash 3WE in Cleveland that owns the rights to those broadcasts. They're just the flagship station. It's the ownership, it's the ball clubs that pay those announcers, pay their salary, and hire those announcers. And in all honesty, i got to tell you, Mark, even though I am upset 
at Tom Brenneman. And yes, I think Tom Brenneman is a is a good announcer. But the reason I think he's a good announcer is because we've got Beavis and Butthead doing the TV <laughs> announcing up here in Cleveland. Anybody would sound good next to those two. And but I agree with you if he was not or any announcer was not hired by the team, they probably would have asked that question. But because he's pay- his paycheck is coming from the Reds, he's scared to answer ask that question. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not certain that specifically his paycheck comes to the Reds. I, I don't know that. But he works for WLW. Either he works for the Reds or he works for WLW or he works for Fox, all of whom are beholden that holy trinity with the Reds. So there may be, you know, some way they they can they can fudge it and say no, we don't. But it's very very clear that they they're afraid to ask tough questions because of repercussions from ownership and from the team itself. And if you go back for, for fans younger fans who are listening, go back on the internet and read reports from the press 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, for that matter, and compare it to today. First of all, most teams don't even send writers to do a story anymore. They rely on Associated Press to send an, uh, somebody to do a story, and all it is basically is a recounting of the play-by-play. There's no comments, no commentary about a player or about the team, and the bloggers are the same way. They're afraid to step up and say something controversial for fear they're not going to be allowed to to cover the games or be in the clubhouse or whatever. So it is a, a situation that has worsened over the last several years, and now it's so much pablum is thrown at the, at the reader that nothing makes any sense anymore, and, and nobody asks tough questions, and that's the nature of the beast. Well, I think that's an error that has to do with the media. And speaking of errors... How about this for a segue? The Indians' defense just continues to be pathetic, Mark. They have now committed, after yesterday's game, 100 errors this year in 129 games. That is two more than the entire error amount that they had in 2013. And that is dead last in Major League Baseball. And they have committed, Mark, eight more errors then the next worst defensive team, which is Arizona, and Arizona has committed eight less than the Indians in two less ball games. And how many errors have the Reds committed? Well, lo and behold, I have that amount: fifty-nine errors in one hundred thirty-one games. That mark is one less error than the second-place best defensive team in baseball, Baltimore, and Baltimore has played three more games than the Reds have. Well, look at that, the impact that has. That's 41 more errors that the the Indians have committed, and I wonder how many runs that has led to. I don't don't know that number, but uh, if nothing else, even if it didn't lead to any more runs, it leads to more pitches being made, Going to your bullpen earlier, the, the the impact it has on a pitching staff is more than just the runs allowed. And depending on when those errors took place, <clears throat> how many actual games were lost. Even if it's only a handful of games, which it has to be, 
uh, it, it's amazing that the Indians are still in contention, and it's it's also brings into resolution the fact the Reds have the best defensive team in baseball. They have one of the best pitching stabs in baseball, and yet they're not going to make the playoffs. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, I, and that's that's the big question. Mark, I've got to ask you this. About a year ago, you and I discussed the possibility of Giancarlo Stanton coming to the Reds. And there were a lot of rumors out there. I guess I've got to ask, do you remember how close that trade was actually true? Well, what I I don't know if it was true at all. What I heard, and maybe it was speculation, that the Reds were going to send Chapman and Leak to Miami for Giancarlo Stanton. And Chapman being Cuban <coughs> in that market made a lot of sense. And they needed a bullpen help down there. And Stanton was going to be due a lot of money, which he still is. And so it, it, on paper, it seemed to make a lot of sense. Now, since then, uh, the Marlins have stepped up and said they're going to keep Stanton. And they're investing in some other players. So I, I think they're, in, in fact, they're ahead of the Reds right now. So I don't think he's going to be available. And if he was, I don't think the Reds would even go after him. No, and I agree with you. He is not going to be available, Mark. Matter of fact, John Heyman of CBS tweeted out this afternoon, and this is the reason that I brought this up. Giancarlo Stanton right now leads the National League, and this is just a portion of what he leads the National League in, Mark. War, extra base hits, home runs, RBIs, run production, total bases, walks, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS, OPS+, plus, WPA, and WPA slash LI. That is just a portion of what Stanton leads the National League in. Now, a lot of people feel that Andrew McCutcheon may be the favorite again to win the National League Most Valuable Player. When you look at this list, Mark, I don't think there is a doubt who the National League Most Valuable Player is. No, I, I don't either. And can you imagine his numbers playing in Great American Ballpark and hitting in front of or behind Joey Votto? And with Brandon Phillips. That's right. And Jay Bruce. Yeah. And Todd Frazier, the year he's having. Yeah. It's, it's frightening what he could do. And Billy it, Hamilton it, it's on just, top of Yeah, and Billy Hamilton on top of that. It's just amazing. I mean, if there was any shred of truth behind that rumor and the Reds didn't pull the trigger on that deal, I, I'm sorry. It's just another in a long line of mistakes that Walt Jockety has made as GM of the Reds. It's, it's inter interesting. You were reading those statistics. Does it show or tell how many intentional walks he had this year? Uh, he leads the league in intentional walks. Doesn't say how many, but he leads the league in intentional walks. Just as an aside, I happened to be reading an article today in, in an old baseball magazine. Uh, in 1961, Roger Maris, of course, set the home run hitting record of 61 home runs. He, he, he eclipsed Babe Ruth. And can you estimate how many intentional walks he had that year? 
you know, they didn't walk a lot of people back then. I, I would say if he had over 50, I would be surprised. So 40 or 50 would make sense? Yes. He had none. Wow. Zero. You you, yeah, they, they walk a lot more people nowadays. They intentionally walk a lot more people nowadays. They didn't do it back then. You know who was hitting behind him? Uh, Mantle. That's right. He had he had zero. So talk about getting protection. <laughs> you had Mickey Mantle hitting behind you, and uh, talking about Mantle, how he was respected by his peers. I remember a quote by Al Kaline. And some kid came up to Al Kaline when he was playing ball, and he said, Mr. Kaline, you're not half as good as Mickey Mantle. And Kaline said, son, nobody is half as good as Mickey Mantle. That's how, that's how respected Mickey Mantle was back in the, in the 50s and 60s. And, and, you know, the thing about it is, Mark, I remember reading and, of course, seeing the movies and and all the – explanations of how Maris went about this. Keep in mind, I think it was the last 18 to 20 games he played in that regular season without Mantle behind him because Mantle was hurt and missed the World Series that year. Yeah, and he he missed about uh, 15, 18 games, I think. Uh, I don't know if it was his knee. I think it was his knee. Uh, and he would, have, he would have also eclipsed 61. But uh, pretty interesting that, that Roger Maris had zero intentional walks that year, and I, I don't know what he hit, but I think he hit like 260, 270 that year. But uh, people hear the name Mickey Mantle, and I don't think they understand how great Mickey Mantle was and how, what a tremendous athlete he was. He had, at one time, he had the record from, from home plate to first base, the fastest ever recorded at 2.9 seconds. That's that's just astounding for a, a power hitter, and if he had not had bad knees, he would have he would have hit a thousand home runs. That that's how great he was. I saw him play maybe ten or twelve times in my life, uh, and it, it's people don't realize he, he was so much better than the rest of the world playing on one leg. And if I remember right, Mark. It was 3.2 or 3.3 to first base from the right side. That's right. Exactly right. Now, he didn't do 2.9 all the time, but he, he averaged about 3.1. But they, they had him at 2.9 one time on a bunt, and uh, a bunt down the first base line, which is unbelievable. I mean, you cannot throw anybody out in that. I bet that's faster than Billy Hamilton is. And he's now, of course, the new standard for speed, but... Um, it's too bad some of the younger players or younger fans that we have, and I'm not. I wish I was a younger fan myself. But you, you guys have missed the opportunity to see some of the great, great players of all time. That in in my lifetime, like Hank Aaron and Sandy Koufax and Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, just incredible talent that I don't see replicated today on the field. I, I don't see the over overriding talent that is out there. Or even going back further, at Joe DiMaggio, who averaged 15 strikeouts a year, not a week, for the entire year over his career. That's, that's incomprehensible today. And so there was a different era of players, a different kind of players. 
And I, I don't know how many times Joe, uh, Stanton has struck out this year, but I'll bet it's a bunch. And it's because players don't care if they strike out anymore. They they care about getting the stats on the board. No, you're absolutely right. And another thing about it, Mark, when you look at the thing about Mickey Mandel, and you mentioned he played on one leg. I'm going to correlate that into the Richard Justice article that we'll bring up here in the second half hour after our Ask Us segment that he wrote earlier this week on Joey Votto. I want to get into that. The Indians have been winning baseball games. Now, this past week, they're 4-2. and two. They've won six of their last ten. Winning six of your last ten is not going to get you back into the wild card or the divisional chase. But they are winning some baseball games, and they're doing it with guys that you would not expect them to do it with, Mark. They're doing it with guys like Zach Walters, who they got in the Esdrubal Cabrera deal. They're doing it with guys now like Tyler Holt, who came up from Columbus and is batting 500 since he's come up from Columbus and had has had some key hits for the Indians and key opportunities. But the one person that they have not brought up, Mark, is Francisco Lindor, and nobody can understand why. Yet the Indians continue to win with a makeshift pitching staff, a makeshift lineup. They have lost Nick Swisher for the year. They have lost probably uh, David Murphy for the year. They may have lost Ryan Rayburn. And now Jan Gomes, their best hitter since the All-Star break, is on the concussion disabled list for at least seven games because of being hit in the mask. I'll tell you, Mark, I think the Indians have the worst catcher's masks in the history of mankind. Their catchers continue to get concussions. Santana did it. Gomes now has a concussion syndrome, and that led the Indians to go to Texas and get a guy that they used to have in their farm system, and they had to reacquire him so they'd have a backup catcher, Chris Jimenez. So the Indians are doing it with basically Band-Aid and duct tape to stay in this race, and I think it all has to do with the fact that Terry Francona is the manager, and we were asked this question a couple of weeks ago on Ask Us, Mark. Francona's got two years left on his contract. How much longer is he going to go with this Band-Aid and duct tape attitude that the front office seems to want to continue to propel upon him just because he is such a good manager? Well, I think he's he's gotten his bona fides uh, established with, with what he did in Boston, and it, it wouldn't surprise me that uh, he goes to the Yankees, he goes to the Angels, he goes to if the Dodgers blow up and, and don't get into the playoffs, uh, th- there's a there's a bigger opportunity for Francona out there than Cleveland, and you mentioned all these in, these uh, injuries and. Kudos to the team for hanging in there, but I would make a prediction over the next two weeks if they don't get a lot of these guys back, they're going to be they're going to have a two and eight or a one and nine run because of these injuries. You can't you can't sustain it. Uh, it catches up with you, and it's not the fault of the players because they you know they're hurt. It's it, so many of these teams now are investing in one or two or three players that they don't have the solid bench core that can come in and, and pick up the slack when one of your starters uh, goes down. There's a huge drop-off between 
a starting eight and the next eight guys on the bench who can come in and play. And that I think that's one of the biggest differences in baseball today as opposed to 10, 15, 20 years ago. If you remember, there was always, like the Dodgers or the Yankees, I mean, their bench could have won the division. They were that good. And that you don't have that anymore. You, you have Santana go down or somebody, Gomes go down or somebody like that, and you don't replace them because there's nobody good on your bench. And it's not just the Indians. But that's because of the way the financial structure is that you pay huge money to a Joey Votto and then you don't have anybody else to back him up. No, you're right. But the thing about it is the Joey Votto contract, he's making as much as both Swisher and Bourne combined, and those were the two big free agent signees two years ago for the Indians. So, I mean, the Indians are still running things on the cheap. But, I mean, we're talking about injuries here, Mark, and, of course, the Reds have had a tremendous amount of injuries this year also. First of all, uh, Araldus Chapman, a week ago, had a big scare with his shoulder. Let me ask you, how how is that turning out? Uh, his last, let me see, is it, I think it's three outings. Uh, he has not allowed a hit. No, I think he's allowed one hit and two base runners. <laughs> and he, the other night against Atlanta, he struck out three guys. The slowest pitch was 101 on a fastball. They didn't have a chance against him. That's what they, even the uh, network announcers said. They laughed. They <laughs> He threw, I forget who the first hitter was, but the guy missed the ball by about a foot on a slider, and they started laughing. They said, no one's going to lay a bat on him tonight. It, it, you can't hit it. So it, if he has his stuff and his control, he's an unhittable guy. But their big point, and I think it was Harold Reynolds, and Tom Berducci, I believe it was the guy from Sports Illustrated, they were saying that it is a crime that the Reds don't put him in the rotation, that this guy could be Randy Johnson. And now they wonder if it's too late that, you know, he's reached the point where he's, he, you know, he's only going to pitch 50 innings this year. That's ridiculous for a guy with that arm. He, he, you know, he should be throwing at least 200 innings. But now... Is he so immersed in the rotation or in the bullpen that he can't be a rotation pitcher? But they were all over the Reds for uh, not moving him into the rotation. Mark, I think they're going to have to move him into the rotation because you know you're going to lose either Cueto or Latos either next year or the year after that, one or the other. You've still got Leak. Bailey is out of the rotation now because the way I understand it, he is going to understand undergo Tommy John surgery, so he'll be out for at least a year. Yeah, that's true, and I, I think uh, what I think the Reds are going to do, they're going to keep all their pitchers this year, for, for 2015. I, I don't think they're going to uh, have anybody traded. I think they're going to put everything into 2015. Uh, they're going to go with what they got. And imagine a rotation of Lados, Cueto, Leak, Chapman, and Bailey. And I don't care, you could have Joe Smith or, 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 or Bill Evans in the, in the bullpen, and it doesn't matter. I mean, you got, and Vado should be healthy next year. All they have to do is go out and get a left fielder and, and, and add some bench strength. You know, this team could win 110 games with that rotation next year. I hope they don't break it up. <coughs> they have a chance to win it. And I think Jockety, he must know 
his contract is up this year, and I heard he's going to be renewed. But I don't think he would risk not putting Chapman in the bullpen next year. What a major mistake, Mark, if he is renewed. But we'll we'll get into that here in just a little bit. Here's our Ask Us segment. Of course, you can join us for our Ask Us segment each and every week just simply by sending us an email to us or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or sending me a tweet to at OHBB co-host. Mark, Robert asks us tonight, is Jumbo Diaz making an impression on Jockety and Price? Well, if he isn't, they're not paying attention. Uh, he Yesterday, he came in and threw, he struck out two guys at 98 and 99. The guy weighs 260. He came into the season weighing 336. Last year, weighed 336. Mark, Mark if he weighs 260, I'm Twiggy. <laughs> well, what, is he 6'6", 6'7", 260? That's what they say. Well, he says he's going to lose some more weight this year, but... I'm telling you, he's a frightening sight on the mound. And talk about a closer for you next year. He he could be your closer. I, I the guy is huge, Mark. He is absolutely he. If you put him in the in the West when the sun is setting, you'd never see the sun. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a big boy, and uh, you know Simon started the game yesterday, and he's about six six, about. 250, 260. Then they bring in Jumbo Diaz, and, and Simon looks like his little kid brother. So you're right. I mean, I, actually, I think Diaz is 6'8. Uh, but he, he's a very, very large man. And he lost 60 or 70 pounds this year. But he came into spring training throwing, you know, 98, 99, 100 miles an hour. And they bring in J.J. Hoover. Uh, what What am I missing here? God, I I know, and I and I run through the same stuff in my head with what the Indians do. Mandalay Mark sends in the question today and says, "Dave, what are your thoughts on Jose Ramirez and Tyler Holt?" Jose Ramirez is an aberration. This is a guy, Mark, that has come up, and the Indians supposedly want to see what this guy can do. Now, I'll admit. He's done a pretty good job. But the fact of the matter is is that he is a utility infielder for this club at best. Yeah, he had the game-winning hit on Saturday night's game, the walk-off single. I like watching the kid play. He hustles. He's not a shortstop. He may be a third baseman or a second baseman. He can play shortstop in a pinch. But to be putting him at shortstop on a regular basis during this pennant chase, I think it's a big mistake by the Indians. As far as Tyler Holt is concerned, I think they've got some promise in this kid, Mark. I think he's the type of ball player that could be the kind that could be a sixth or seventh place hitter in the batting order. He's definitely not someone that you're going to build a team around. He's definitely not somebody that you're going to stick in right field and let play there for the rest of his career. But I think the kid has got an opportunity to be a decent ball player at the major league level, and I'm hoping that those two ball players are at least going to be part of the Indians next year, and they will not play as much as they have been during these last 20 or 30 games since the All-Star break. I know goodie Todd- for you, at, asks us, Mark. Is Todd Frazier right now the future of the Reds? 
if Todd Frazier is the future of the Reds offensively, that's what you're talking about. The Reds are in trouble. Uh, he, he's having a good year. He had his 22nd home run yesterday. But he should be in a lineup where he is your number six or number seven hitter. Then you know you have a good team. But when he's hitting three and four, even two, uh, he doesn't put the ball in play enough. He's, he's going to hit 275 this year, having a very good year for him. But he he's a guy who can be pitched to. He's got terrific power. And I, I hope the Reds can protect him and put him lower in the lineup. I, I, in fact, I don't mind him at number two, other than the fact that uh, he, he strikes out too much. <clears throat> But I think you'll know when the Reds have come of age when you have him hitting sixth or seventh in the lineup. And that, that's where he could be very, very productive and not put a lot of pressure on him. But he's not a guy who's going to hit, you know, 45 home runs, 50 home runs. He didn't have that uh, kind, of, kind of swing yet. But he's getting better. So in answer to your question, no, I don't think the Reds are going to be building around him. He's a good, solid piece, but he's not a star. Okay, our final question on our Ask Us segment, which leads into a couple other things. Marlena wrote in and asked us, when, if ever, will Joey Votto return to the Reds lineup? I don't know if you saw it or not, but he gave an interview last week to one of the Reds writers. And it's it's something that's so overdue. Uh, The Reds should have I don't know if they can make him give an interview because I think they can't I think the the union for forbids the medical staff or the team to comment on a player's injury uh, but the player can comment on it if he wants and I think Joey Votto has gotten some bad advice or he's just stone insensitive uh, he should have been out in front of this thing giving updates okay here's where I am I'm doing this, and even if it's bad news, hey, it's, things aren't going as, as fast as I had hoped. Uh, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm still having pain or whatever. That's all the fans want. Give them an update. Tell them what the facts are. And rather than this, and then Joey, he, he doesn't have a very good pulse on how he looks on camera or his response to things, and he's, he's had this problem his entire career. He, 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 he takes it as a threat when somebody says, gee, I wonder if he's really hurt. Well, the reason they're asking that question is because nobody explains what's going on. Why not have the doctor say, okay, here's the injury he has. Here's why he's having pain. Here's why he doesn't have any strength in that leg. And here's the, 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 here's the what we're going to do for treatment to fix that problem. I think every fan, every member of the press would say, oh, okay, now I get it. No wonder he can't play. And then it goes away. But they, they seem to hide and tell the fans, well, go figure it out. It, we'll get back to you. We don't know. Well, that's BS. They do know. Uh, but I, I think this has been handled so poorly, and Joey's to blame. Well, that's going to do it. We're going to get into more of this, but that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment. Of course, you can send in your questions simply by sending them to askus or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or send me a tweet at OHBB co-host. Mark, Richard Justice covered that 
interview session that Joey Votto had that you were talking about, and he wrote an article. You can read it on CincinnatiReds.com. And Justice said in his article, and I'm going to paraphrase a few things here, that he didn't know whether to laugh or cry last week when Votto told reporters he's on the DL because he's really and truly injured. Justice asked, are the talk radio nitwits and Twitter trolls now setting the agenda for the rest of us? Well, first of all, I want to take issue with the talk radio nitwits because the two biggest talk radio show hosts down in Cincinnati are uh, Mo Egger and Lance McAllister, and I have not heard either one of them, Mark, go off the deep end about Joey Votto not playing. No, I think it's 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 almost like the ether out there. It's just this feeling that the fan base and Joey, to, to his credit, he said, "I have never accused the fans of doubting my injury." And the reporter said, "Well, then who are you accusing of it?" He said, "Well, who's left?" Well, it's the press. The press comes up with the innuendo that he's not injured. Some of the fans buy into it. And the fact that Joey Votto is making $25 million a year, you would think somebody on the PR side would have enough sense to do what I said before. Tell the fans what's going on. Don't they deserve that? What's wrong with that? If he's not going to be able to play the rest of the year, then say it. Joey acts surprised. The, 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 the questioner said, well, are you going to be back this year? He goes, well, sure, I'm coming back off the DL on September 4th. Oh, really? God, never heard that before. Are you back to baseball activities yet? No. Then how do you expect <laughs> to come back in two weeks? You're not even fielding a ground ball yet. Are you just going to miraculously go back into the lineup? They make no sense with some of these statements. And that's where I think the PR department is has done Joey a, a, a bad service, and the Reds should know better. Well, according to this Justice article, Votto missed 24 games in May and June with the injury to his left quad. And then when he came back, you tell me, was it painful to watch him play and attempt to swing the bat and move around first base, Mark? Yeah, it was. And what you could really see was, he, obviously, he's a left-hand hitter, and his drive leg, his left leg, he couldn't push off of it. And you could see it. I mean, it was he would swing and miss, and he would almost fall over. So I never doubted that Joey Votto was injured. I mean, I've had I've had a quad injury. Not every quad injury is different, so I'm not trying to equate mine with his at all. All I'm saying is it hurts. <laughs> it does hurt. And depending on the severity of it, it can hurt a long time. And it could be right above your knee all the way up to your hip and everything in between. So if he had a major quad pull or a strain, whatever they're going to call it, that could be a very, very debilitating injury. So I have never said that Joey Votto was a wuss or, or was afraid to play hurt or anything like that. What I w was very frustrated about is they did not inform everybody about what was going on. So it took the pressure off Joey. Because if the doctor comes out and said, look, here is why he can't play. And I would use the if I was a doctor, I'd say, hey, you fans out there, go try and stand on your right leg, hit left-handed, stand on your right leg, and hit a home run. You can't. You can't do it. That's why Joey's not hitting a home run. 
because you can't drive off that back leg. If you're a right-handed hitter, that would be your right leg. You're, you're, you're powering. It's, power comes from your legs. And if you're, if you're a home run hitter, all home run hitters have some big legs, believe me. Big butts and big legs. And that's where the power comes from. So all they have to do is explain that, and people are smart enough to understand it. Well, I don't think it's, you know, I'm going to take the devil's advocate right now with, with this issue. Because, okay, in Votto's absence, and this is the reason I'm going to do it, the Reds have had a tough time of it. They're 33-30 and 30 this year with him in the lineup. They're 30-38 and 38 without him at the time that this article by Richard Justice was written. The, the playoff hopes have basically all but slipped away. And according to Justice, some folks decided Votto should get back on the field no matter what. Now, Mark, Todd Frazier has been playing for the last two weeks with a back injury. He will not come out of the lineup. You've seen Brandon Phillips come back from an injury, a surgery on his thumb, that he probably has no business playing with right now, and he's back in the lineup. You've seen Billy Hamilton with, and I know he's got some injuries, He's back in the lineup right now. Devin Mesoraco is playing with some injuries that he shouldn't. And what you hear out of Joey Votto is, even though he's stung by the criticism, and this is a quote, you can assume if I'm on the field, I'm 100%. And he said that several times in this Richard Justice article. Mark, there is nobody in Major League Baseball right now that has played the entire season that is 100%. And I think that's what frustrates Reds fans with Votto. He is not going to take the field until he feels he is ready to take the field at 100%. Yeah, and that part of it, I, I agree with you, Dave. And that's why it, it's been frustrating for Reds fans. And I, I'm a fan of Joey Votto's. But while I don't question his his toughness per se... Uh, that kind of statement seems so naive to me that he would think that anybody is 100% after playing 140 games or 130 games to this point. Uh, you're right. They're not. And either he doesn't understand it or he's making so much money he just doesn't give a damn. But that's because we don't know the severity of the injury, it allows that doubt to come in. And the fact that he's playing first base and he doesn't have to move as much as, say, a shortstop or a second baseman or an outfielder, you would think he could play first base, even if he's a step or two slower than he should be. And from a hitting perspective, who would you rather have up at, at a given point? A Zach Kozart facing a pitcher or a Joey Votto who's only 60 or 70%? Oh, obviously Joey Votto, but let's let's make the comparison even. Who would you rather have up in the situation, and who would you rather have playing first base in in that kind of a situation? Joey Votto or a Donald Lutz or a Pena, who's been playing first base also? I'd rather have Joey Votto. Exactly, and 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 Mark, what Joey Votto doesn't seem to understand is that yes. He is the Reds' highest-paid player. I don't blame him for taking the money. I've got no problem with that. If the Reds offered him money, yes, Votto should take it. $225 million is what this guy is going to make. Now, whether or not he agrees with it and whether or not he is what I'm going to say, 
He is the perceived leader of this Reds team simply because of that contract. That's what fans see. That's what they want. They want their highest priced ball player going out there, and especially in a Cincinnati, in a town like Cincinnati, Mark, where Pete Rose was the epitome of playing hurt and playing every day and still giving his all every single game. That's what people see in Cincinnati. That's what people want out of Joey Votto, and Joey Votto seems to be incapable of providing that to them. You know, people have been dancing around this for a number of years in regards to Joey Votto, and again, I'm not comparing Joey Votto to anybody. I'm just saying that mentally, some people have the ability to play through stuff, to play through issues in life more easily than others, or they, they maybe they turn to the sport as a an escape from what a, a, what else is bothering them on the outside world. Uh, as you recall, Joey Votto several years ago missed a, a number of games because of depression. Now, I don't know what his depression was. I, 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 I don't care to know what it is. That's a personal issue. But I don't remember any other player in my life and maybe I'm maybe I'm overlooking something that sat out a month because they were depressed. I remember only one, and that was Zach Greinke. Okay. Well, I can't. I, I, you're right. I forgot about him. And then then he had, understandably, a period of time after his father died where he had depression and he missed a number of games. And again, I understandable. can understand that's understandable. Uh, but some people say, well, that that denotes a lack of mental toughness. Yeah, you, you, all of us, when we lose a family member, uh, it, it's going to be depressing and it's going to impact our life and it, all those things. But I think with Joey, it was it was a much longer time than other people have had to go through. And, and again, I'm not saying it wasn't a worthy reason to miss a lot of games, but when you have hundreds, if not thousands of ball players who don't do that, and then Joey does it, both physical and emotional issues, that's where people question rightly or wrongly. Uh, and again, no, nobody can wear his shoes either emotionally, mentally, or physically. You can't. You don't know how severe it was, but I think that's where it, it emanates from, is people question his toughness because of issues like that. And Mark, it directly reflects upon the general manager of your ball club. Because you have to understand the psyche of that ball player if you're going to sign him to this type of contract. Yeah, and I, and I think, again, in, in fairness to Joey, and I'm not making excuses because I like Joey Votto, because I do like him, and I think he's a, he's a great ball player. But Joey has a sensitive side to him, I think, that some players don't. Uh, at least that's what I've picked up in, in the interviews I've heard from him. Uh, I think he's a very intelligent guy. He may, you know, see things differently in life, and, and maybe his priorities are absolutely correct, and everybody else's is wrong. And, I, again, I, his it's his right to respond the way he did. At the same time, you have to understand what that response is going to mean in terms of how fans perceive you and the press perceives you. And if, you, if you're okay with it, then... 
basically to hell with the fans and hell with the press. It's it's the way he's going to do it, and that that's up to Joey. But you can't expect not to have some kind of blowback when you take that route. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you because he can be stung by the criticism, Mark, but you've got to understand, I, well, not you, but I mean, Joey Votto's got to understand. Fans are the ones that are paying their way into the ball game. Fans are the ones that are basically paying his contract because they're watching the TV station that is paying the Reds for the rights fees to actually televise those games. They're the ones that are coming through the turnstiles. And those same fans that are doing that, Mark, have their own problems. They have their own troubles and turmoils that are going on day by day by day, and they could, they could care less what's going on in the life of Joey Votto. All they know is when they come to the ballpark or when they flip that TV channel on to watch the Reds, they want to see a winning ball club. They want to see Joey Votto out there on the ball field because he's the one that is making the millions and millions of dollars. And when he comes out with an article like this and makes the comment, you can assume if I'm on the field I'm 100%, that is a stinging uh, uh, statement. And the fans just don't take lightly to it. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's Joey's decision. That's his agent and Joey and the team, that's the, that's the decision they make. And I think it's rather naive to think you're not going to have some kind of blowback from fans and press. But, uh, again, they may be saying, tough, it's our business and we're going to handle it that way. But then if that's the case, that's your right to do it, don't be surprised if somebody puts a, a mic in your face and says, hey, Joe, you really hurt? Well, to wrap this up, let me ask you two questions. One is, do you think Joey Votto will return this year? I mean, after all, if, if the Reds are out of it, why bother? And secondly, should he return this year? Just let the thing rest up and come back next year if they're putting all their eggs in the basket. Well, they've got games coming up against the Cubs and the Cardinals um, I think there's six games coming up or seven coming up with them. And if the Reds win six of seven or five of six, I think he should come back because they, they have a chance then. But if, if they split those games, they have absolutely no chance for the playoffs. And, and why, why risk it? Why bring him back for, you know, three or four weeks of uh, possibly hurting himself for next year? But on the other hand, uh, are we running into a chronic injury situation with him that this is never going to go away, and then what? Well, see, that that's the question. And, and I would think that they'd want to see him back just to see if he's going to be able to handle it. But like you said, the Reds are six games behind San Francisco right now for the last wild card spot. We'll see if Joey Votto comes back. We'll see that probably here within a week. Mark, the new baseball commissioner, Rob Manfred, ESPN is pushing him to speed up the length of ballgames. Now, you and I have talked about this in the past, and basically when you look at the length of how ballgames go anymore, the only reason that the time has increased as far as the length of a ballgame is simply because of the commercial time in between innings has increased. Now, Mike Greenberg on Mike and Mike in the Morning has taken this as his sole responsibility to pressure baseball into speeding up ball games. And he has come right out and he has said commercial time in ball games will not be cut. 
So that being said, and that being put off to the side, Mark, what do you think baseball can do to help speed up games if there is indeed a problem? Right now, not including in with in-inning commercials. That's where they do a promo or they do a commercial over the inaction in a game or whatever. You've got about 45 to 50 minutes of commercials between innings. It's, it's two and a half minutes per half inning. So that's five minutes per inning, five times nine is 45. So you have 45 minutes in a ball game that is not devoted to any action at all. It's commercials. So if Greenberg is saying that they're not going to do anything about the commercials, what are you going to shave off? You mentioned earlier today in our discussions that you reduce the number of pitches that a, a guy throws coming in from the bullpen. Well, that's going to save maybe a minute and a half, two minutes, three minutes, at the most. Baseball can't be sped up unless, and I don't understand this logic, why not charge more for commercials? in less time. <laughs> Does that make sense? You get the same amount of revenue. And if a guy wants to, uh, you know, make it, you, you could knock off, let me see, a min, you could knock off nine minutes just by going from uh, two and a half minutes to two minutes per, per game. So uh, I don't think there's anything you can do within the structure of the game that's going to reduce the time in a meaningful way unless you cut back the commercial time. Unless you go to a seven-inning game, then everybody would be happy, I guess. I've got one idea that I think would speed up the game tremendously. Just one. And you don't have to change a thing. Not one thing. Not a rule. Not anything. But it would. I think it would enhance the game, and I think it would speed it up by maybe ten minutes. Call... A strike, a strike by the rule book. That's a real good point. Um, I can't argue with that. I think that's the uh, that's one issue. The, the, the strike zone is so ridiculous that what's happening is the umpires are going to work them work their way out of a, a job because mm -hmm. right now you have Fox Track and, and they show you the strike zone and you can have that uh enhanced to show truly a strike within the strike zone as you define it and, and, and that's that's a good idea but here's another question who cares who who cares if you save 10 minutes i if think it, the tv it, it's it's all driven by tv mark they want these games nice and neat and in a 3 hour package that's yeah, what they want but okay if that's the case wouldn't it make Logic from their perspective, they make more money the longer the game goes. They can run more commercials. Uh, not necessarily, because normally when I was at a radio station and I was doing ball games, if a game went into extra innings or overtime, you just played commercials. They were just called freebies. Now, I'm not sure if they run it that way through Major League Baseball and through Fox Sports or, or whomever is, is doing the game at the time. Probably mm -hmm. not. But I would guess if the game goes extra innings or, or they have to run extra commercials, they probably are not at the same price that they are during the regular part. Well, I would bet in today's world there's no such thing as a freebie. Uh, but, you know, I never hear a fan. If I'm going down to a Reds game 
and I'm taking an hour to drive down there, an hour to drive back, uh, three hours to watch a game. Uh, I'm not concerned that they're going to save 10 minutes. I don't care. And I think it's when you look at pro football, I think pro football is eminently worse than Major League Baseball. The commercial times be- between <laughs> between changing of downs uh, is absurd, especially if you go to a game. You sit there in the cold for five and six minutes while they're running commercials, and I never hear football fans complain about it. And yet, baseball fans, somebody's complaining about it. I just don't know who. Well, like I said, ESPN seems to be taking the gauntlet on this and trying to get Manfred to reduce the time of baseball games. Their their brilliant idea, Mark, very quickly, is putting a clock on the pitcher if there's nobody on base and making him throw the pitch within 12 seconds. Well, I don't know if you saw Mike Leake pitch the other night against Atlanta. He was throwing the ball between 10 and 12 seconds every time, and the game was great. I mean, the pace was great, and it wasn't until you got into the bullpen where it, it, it slowed things down. But uh, I think that's a good idea. I, some of these pitchers, it's absurd, the time they take between pitches. And then guys stepping out of the batter's box and all that nonsense, uh, that's been going on for a long time. So you, you could save, you're right, you could save 10 minutes maybe, 12 minutes, I don't know. But I don't know that it's going to change anybody's life that a baseball game is two hours and ten minutes as opposed to two hours and thirty minutes. I don't think anybody cares. No, I tend to agree with you, but that that's what ESPN's trying to do. So that that's why I wanted to ask the question. Mark, what do the Reds have going on this week? They got the Cubs coming in uh, tomorrow night, then they go to St. Louis for three games. And it's to the point now the Reds have to win virtually every game. They have to, in the next 30 games, they've got to go 25-5 and five or something like that, which is not going to happen. Uh, so, again, I was being facetious early when I said the Reds are going to make the playoffs. They won't. Uh, and I just hope they don't finish sixth. Although, uh, I was looking at the fact that with the worst record in baseball, you get the first pick. So, uh, you know, I'd love to see the Reds get a first five pick for next year. Well, knowing Walt Jockety, he'd take somebody out of Spain. Anyway, the Indians schedule, they're at the White Sox tomorrow night, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then, probably, Mark, the biggest week of the Indian season. They go to Kansas City this weekend for three games, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then Detroit comes to Progressive Field and plays a four-game set against the Indians. Matter of fact, that will begin an 11-game homestand for the Indians, September 1st through the 11th. Mark, through the month of September, the Indians, this is when they got to make their push, Mark. They've got 27 games in September. They play 17 home games in that month of September. 11 to begin the month, then they go on a 10-game road trip, and then their last six games are at home, and they've got Detroit and Kansas City. They play them twice in the month of September. They've got to make hay now. Well, they have a chance to do it. That's that's the exciting part. You you want to be going into September with a with a reasonable chance of making the playoffs, and the Indians had that. So now it goes back to what could they have done at the trade deadline to make their chances improve quite a bit, and uh, they did very little. Oh, the show's over. Don't get me started. <laughs> Here we go again. Mark, we'll talk to you next Monday night. Have a good week. Same to you, David. 
That's going to do it for our show tonight. Thanks for joining us here this evening. Don't forget, I'll be back with the Ultimate Sports Talk Show Thursday night at 7 o'clock. My thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer. My thanks to those who sent in questions for our Ask Us segment. But most of all, our thanks to you for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9 p.m., good night, everybody.